So this morning we're continuing our series looking at the Beatitudes. And uh, John started it last week and we're looking at kind of eight ways to how to live a blessed life. Um, And my task this morning is to look at the verse that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs... No, that was last week. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what John looked at last week. And this week I'm looking at, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And in Matthew's gospel, just to give a bit of background, the kind of things that happen in Matthew's gospel before we get to the Beatitudes are really important to set the scene. And so in all the different gospels, they start in slightly different places. But for Matthew, he starts right at the beginning, the first bit in Matthew um, 1. What you get is this genealogy of Jesus. And so you get the steps between Abraham to David and then David to Jesus. And so it can just be a bit interesting reading Matthew 1 because it's just a load of names that you, if you're a bit like me, you hope you never ask to read in public because you can't pronounce half of them and you're going to get them wrong. So that's what happens in Matthew 1. And then in, as, it, as it moves on, we get the story of Jesus's birth, which we're going to obviously find out a little bit more about at Christmas. Um, we get the story of the birth. We get the, the visit of the wise men. Then they escape and they flee to Egypt. And as they flee to Egypt, the next thing we find is years later, we hear about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes along and he starts to baptize folk. And he's baptizing them and he's telling them to repent for the kingdom is near. And people start to to get baptized. And before we know anything, Jesus is getting baptized. And Jesus gets baptized and it is baptism that the heaven is ripped open and the, the father speaks down and the son rests upon him. And we see this great moment as they anoint him for his ministry ahead. And then we see Jesus' ministry starts in Matthew's gospel there. And so all this preparation happens. They want to tell us he's from the right families. He's from the right genealogy. Then this is how he was born. Then they tell us about them fleeing to Egypt. And then we get this uh, John the Baptist coming, preparing the way, and Jesus being baptised. And as Jesus has been baptised and then he starts to do his ministry and in the bits that we hear about his ministry, it's only brief in that first bit in Matthew, but it tells us all about how he heals people. It tells us about how he sets people free. It tells us about all these kind of people who need him and yet he does it. He cures his diseases, he cures sicknesses, he removes pain, he casts out demons. And then because of all of this stuff, a crowd starts to gather around Jesus. Because of what he's done, because of what they've heard about him, people are starting to think, I want to see if this man is, if he is what he says he is. I want to, I've heard things about him. So they all gather to hear him. And then Jesus ascends up a mountain, not for or anything other than this is the teaching method. Or he does it so that they can hear him and see him. Some would argue that maybe he does it to create, to kind of shadow Moses. But others would say he probably doesn't. He's just standing to teach. And as he stands to teach, he gives this sermon that we know is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the name we've given it. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is these passages, is these set of verses which we've named the Beatitudes. They all start with blessed and and then go on to blessed are. And these statements on first hand that we're about to read, they can sound a little bit crazy. You can sound like a teaching technique that maybe someone gives where they say something to check if you're listening. Have you ever been in one of those scenarios where they say something that's clearly wrong so that you just go, yes. And they're like, no, you're not listening to me. I've just said that the fire exits are made of chocolate. And you've gone, yeah, because you've just zoned out. And, And in the midst of it, it can feel a little bit like that because the statements that Jesus says 
Well, they're not really true on surface value. And so in Matthew 5, it's, these are the Beatitudes. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning we're looking at blessed, or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And why I ran through all of that stuff at the beginning is it's really important to know where this stuff fits in. Where Jesus says this in the midst of it, and why does he say it? And these statements that can seem a little bit backwards, like how are you blessed if you're mourning? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've mourned something. Maybe you've mourned a relationship or you've mourned a job. Maybe you've mourned the fact that your children have moved out and you just feel like, I wish I had that relationship that I don't have anymore with them. Maybe you're mourning the death of a loved one. Maybe you mourn the fact that you're not as young as you used to be. And you know that. And for some people, that's a real prospect, that they really mourn that. Maybe you mourn that things aren't quite as you long them to be. But as we mourn things, I don't think any of us are sitting there going, oh, we are blessed to be mourning this. It's a backwards thought in our heads. And loads of the Beatitudes are like that. They're not on the surface what would appear to be the case. And N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the land in which this, this lies, in which, sorry, the land in which Jesus' words land is one where mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that, take that long into the grave. You see, what Jesus is doing here is an ups, it's an upside down world, or perhaps he's turning the world the right way up. Jesus is saying this, but he's declaring it because his work has begun to happen. Jesus isn't saying this as like a political statement, like if you vote for me, this is what will happen. He's declaring things that are happening which have already started in the background. He's already started to bring healing. He's already started to cast out demons. He's already started to do these things and then he starts to declare what has happened. And in our world today, we often look for happiness at all costs, don't we? The key thing can be just make me happy or just to find stuff. People can say things like, and I've heard these statements all the time, like, do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And you hear these kind of statements. And in a world, and in our world, we can feel like that. But as we read this text, it wasn't written today. It was written 2,000 years ago. It's about events that happened in this Roman world, a world dominated by Rome. And so for these people, there was a whole sense that every action that you had in your life was because either the gods or God, depending on your faith, had caused it. And so if you do something, 
Um, if you have a consequence in your life, the question was, which, who have you upset, if you like? And we see this in John 9. There's a blind person brought to Jesus, and the disciples turn to Jesus, and they say, who sinned? Was it his parents, or was it him, in order that he is blind? And Jesus says something that, quite frankly, is, is, is shocking. And this is what it says in John 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. And what we see here is, 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 is a systematic element of what these guys believed. So it was if you have a problem, who have, there must be a reason for that. And so you create this idea that basically your consequences that you see visually dictate whether you're being blessed or not. So if your life is going well, you've been blessed. But if you're poor or your husband dies, what have you done? And Jesus stepping into that world, he says, hang on a minute. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And as John revealed to us last week, this word blessed, it, it can be translated as happy, but it's kind of more than that. It's this word makarios. And, it, and what it basically means, or it's this idea that God is pouring out his favour onto somebody. Blessed from God's perspective is the, the, the definition I got. And you know, we can't judge that blessing by the world's standards. The other thing that happens with that is in a world where it says God must have left people, Jesus turns around and says, God's blessing them. God's with them. He's pouring himself out on those people that you think have been overlooked. Those that you think they must have done something wrong in order for this to happen. He says, they're blessed. God's with them. In fact, he's pouring himself out onto them. He's giving them favour that they don't deserve. And the thing is with God's favour is we can't be taken away. It's not earned. We don't deserve it. He gives it to who he wants to give it to. And you can't, it's not like, oh, I want more of God's favour, so I've prayed more this week. And therefore the slot machine is, I add prayer, he gives me favour. It doesn't work like that. He's a good father who longs to give good gifts to his children. He longs to pour out his blessing. That's not saying don't pray. There are many reasons to pray. But one of them is not to, in order that God would bless me. He pours himself out in such a way that's undeserved, that doesn't make sense. But who am I to question what God does? And in the midst of that, he says, blessed are those that mourn. And as I said, we can mourn all kinds of different things. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm sure you've mourned something. It could be something small, like the loss of an item or a job or a role, or it could be something huge, like the loss of a loved one. But we've all mourned something on some level. And the question is, is when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted, what on earth does he mean? Who's he talking to? What is the purpose of it? And in essence, I have to say, 
If you read anything on the Beatitudes, you will find many varying viewpoints. You'll find some people say X and some people say Y. And do you know what the problem is with X and Y? They both say that the other one's wrong. And they say, well, I'll tell you what it's not. And I'd sit there and i think, well, how do you know it's not that? Just offer your own view. But they do this and they say, well, it's not this, it's this. It's definitely this, it's this. And there's a huge variant on what these things could mean. But there are two this morning that I want to offer to us this morning as, as options that I sense is what God is saying through this. And I just really sense that he wants to use this morning, if that's okay. The first statement here with blessed are those who mourn is when we look at it, there are two events that we see in the Bible where Jesus mourns. The first one of those is one that we're quite familiar with. He mourns the death of his friend Lazarus. And so Lazarus has died. His sisters Martha and Mary, they're at the house. And as is the Jewish custom, they gather around him, the Jewish people, they gather around the family in order to mourn with them. And their purpose of mourning, if you read that text, is to comfort the family. They, as community, gather to mourn to comfort Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus. And as they do that, Jesus arrives. And as he arrives, um, he's confronted with one of them saying to him, if you'd come earlier, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus weeps. We get this incredible moment where Jesus weeps the death of his friend Lazarus. But moments later, he raises him from the dead. And yet Jesus still mourns the death of Lazarus. And the other instance we see of Jesus mourning is found in Luke 19. It's also found in Matthew as well. But it's Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And what he does, it says here in Luke 19, 41, when he, which is Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you. And they'll not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of the visitation. And in both of these accounts, Jesus mourns over the state of Jerusalem. He mourns about what's going to happen to them prophetically. He mourns about the state of it at the time. And he also mourns about his death of his friend. And in the midst of it, as he mourns about them, there is two things that is common in this mourning. The first one is, is, is that Jesus, as he mourns, he mourns a world that is different to what he intended. And so right in the beginning in Genesis 3, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the world set up as God intended. God makes these things and he says they were good. And he walks in the garden with them. And then sin enters the world. And sin enters the world through disobedience. It enters the world through them eating this fruit that God has told them not to. And sin, sometimes we can boil it down to the personal decisions that me and you make that go against God. And you know, that's right. That is sin. But sin is so much bigger than that. Sin is not just you lying or sin is not just you hurting somebody. Sin is not just you disobeying God. The consequences of sin have shaped the world to a point that the world we live in now is so different from the world that God intended it to be. The consequences of sin are not just that you might go to hell. The consequences of sin are sickness, 
across the world. The consequences of sin are earthquakes. The consequences of sin are things like families breaking down, our addictions. Fam- the, the consequences of sins are pain and hurting and all of these things that we are promised one day will never, will be in a new heaven and a new earth where those things won't be. And the question that the disciples asked of who sinned is the wrong question because the answer is all of us. It's not necessarily that my sin today will cause a thing tomorrow, although some, you know, maybe there might be something in that at times. It's actually that the sins that we've all created, the movement away from God has created a world that is so vastly different to his intention. And it is that world that Jesus mourns. And in the midst of it, what do we see? And when I read this, I was absolutely bowled over. We see a world today that accepts death as a certainty. What's that old phrase? There are two certainties in life, death and taxes. And that was before Uber. No, uh, (laughs) terrible joke, isn't it? Um, But there's two certainties, death and taxes. We've accepted death as a certainty. And in our world today, God is a doubt for most people at best. The idea of death, everybody would accept, but the idea of God is a doubt. For some, they'd say it's completely nonsense. God doesn't exist. For others, they'd say maybe God exists, but I'm not sure. And and we see that when we survey the people that believe it. And obviously across the world, the majority of people have a faith of some sorts. But in the midst of it, as we look in our culture today, people doubt God, don't they? But they accept death. And in Genesis 3, that very moment of temptation that sin enters the world, what happens? Let's read it. This is what happens. Eve is talking to the serpent and she says, God, and God has told them not to eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, not even to touch it or they'll die. And the serpent responds in 3-4. He says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat the fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happens in the garden? God is certain they walk with him and the devil doubts death. He doubts it. He says to them, will you die in other translations or you won't die? And what has happened since sin is the reversal of that. We accept death as certain and we doubt God. And you know, death is not an intention of God at any point. We see that in the garden Death enters the world through disobedience. Why why did Jesus come to the earth? Well, John 3.16, for whoever believes in him. What does it say, John 3.16? It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would receive eternal life. Why? Because God's heart is that no man would perish. Why? Because God's not for death. It wasn't in the original design. And yet death has come into the world And now in such a certain way. And so Jesus mourns the world because of its state. He mourns the world because it's not as he intended. He mourns the death of his friend because his friend has experienced something he was never designed to experience. Death. And so yes, he can bring him back to life. There's hope in the resurrection. But in the same sense, he was never intended to experience it. And he mourns over Jerusalem. And in Matthew 23, it puts it this way. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I gather your children together as hens gather her brood under a wing 
and yet you would not. And Jesus in that moment, he's mourning what he sees in front of him. God comes to earth. He takes on flesh in the form of Jesus and he experiences a world that is so different from the world that he longs for. And he mourns it because he's lost it. Because once Jesus, once God walks down the garden with humanity, he tabernacles with them in that garden. And yet, as he comes again to tabernacle with his people, the world is a complete mess. Sin has broken it. And we still live in the midst of that. And so you might be asking, what on earth does any of this mean? And um, in the midst of it, that is the morning one of the morning that I sense Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn the state of this world because you'll be comforted. And I don't know about you, but there are things that happen in this world today that I'm not okay with. There are things that happen that I'm not okay with. And do you know, as a Christian, do you know what question really gets on me? It's when people say, well, that's a reason for God not existing. Sin and brokenness and pain, that's a reason that God doesn't exist. How can all of this happen if God exists? And I sit there and I'm like, actually, without God, what, what is the purpose in any of that? What is the purpose in any of that? If there is a godless life, what is the point in any of that stuff? And yet with God, we have the ability for him, not that he started all of those things, not that he loves all of those things, he mourns them, he hates them. He hates them so much that he came himself and became a person and died in our place. That's how seriously God hates those things. And yet he mourns those situations. And what is the promise with blessed are those who mourn? They will be comforted. Do you know in the midst of horrible situations, when people say, where is God in the midst of it? Do you know where he is? He's comforting those who are in need. He's close to the brokenhearted, as the Bible puts it. And that's where God is in those moments of mourning. And you know what our world's attitude can be to disaster? It can be apathy, acceptance. These things happen. You know, and we just move on until it's on our doorstep. Look at how our country has treated the war in Ukraine. It was on the news for a few weeks. It was selling papers. Now we don't hear about it. You know, we'd rather hear about who's winning Love Island or whatever else is on the news. Or the cost of living crisis. And that does affect us all, I get it. But somehow we don't hear about this in Ukraine. And, and, and I was speaking to one of my lecturers recently, he's from the Netherlands. And uh, he, he studied at St Andrews for years. He's got a very strange accent, as you can imagine. Uh, he did his doctorate in St Andrews for eight years and he's, from the, he's Dutch. He learned English off an American man. So he's got a very weird voice. Um, and he... I said to him, Jasper, like, how is, he's called Jasper, so yeah. Uh, I said, how is, how is like the war affecting you? And he said, every day, all we hear about is the war. Every news channel across Europe. Why? Because, and he says, it's a reminder to us that we, we could be next. That we, it's not okay to just accept this evil, but that we need to do something about it. And he said, as a Christian, I'm just praying. And I sat there and I thought, we've moved on. We've accepted it. You know, we want to hear about how whatever is the latest, latest thing. And yet in the midst of these things that are not okay, God mourns them. All these things that happen, these sicknesses, these deaths, these pains, these earthquakes, where's God in the midst of it? He's mourning it. It breaks his heart. 
I guess the question for me is, does it break mine? Or am I a product of the world that I'm in and I just accept that stuff happens? And I spiritualize it and I say, but one day, and so I just hang on to the one day. Do you know that's true? One day there'll be a place with no sickness or pain or hurting. God's restoring all things back to himself. And I live in that incredible hope, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't mourn what has been lost. And that's the first type of mourning that we see in this sense. It's it's Jesus mourning over a world that does things that isn't how it intended to be. He's mourning the loss of actually the world was meant to be like this and yet it's like this. He mourns the state of it. He loves us deeply but he mourns the state of the world. Don't just boil God down into well one day everything's fine and we will be saved. This breaks God's heart, the state of the world today. And I don't say that judgmentally. My question is, is it doesn't often break mine. Just kind of learn to cope and move on. But what if God's got more for us in that? What if he longs for us to be a community that would mourn when things go wrong? What if we would not just accept that there are, there's brokenness all around us? What if we wouldn't just accept that families are broken? What if we wouldn't just accept that, un, that employment's broken in this area? What if we wouldn't just accept that schools are broken? What if we wouldn't just accept that all of these things? What if we started to do something about it in our community? What if we were to be Jesus' hands and feet? What if our mourning caused us to move into action for those things? You see, if we don't mourn, we accept. And I don't want us to accept the state of the world today. And those that were disciples at the time, what did they do? They copied the behaviour of their teacher. So they'll have seen Jesus mourning, so they start to do it. So they hear this. And so many of the people I've been reading talk about two circles. There's an inner circle and an outer circle. Those who have followed Jesus are in the inner circle at this point. They understand what he means when he talks about mourning. But those in the outer circle... They look at the people who are mourning and they say, but they've been missed by God. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed are those people. God's pouring his favour out on those people who are mourning. If you've experienced loss on whatever level, God is close to the broken hearted. That's not a quote from me, that's from the Bible. It's the truth. He's not sitting there going, if you're absolutely devastated about something and your question is, I feel like God's left me in this. I want to tell you that's a massive lie. God's so close to you in the midst of that. You know, some people even spiritualize it and say, God's punishing you for this. Just read your Bible and stop reading idiots. It's just as simple as that. Just pull out your Bible and read it about this God of love who does these things and then go, oh, and actually he's just punishing people, right? Just come on. Just read it. If you want to talk to me about that, I'm over there in blue. (laughs) And we could talk about it in an adult way. Um, but in the midst of this, all of this stuff, God is drawing near to those people. And he says, blessed are those who are mourning, because he'll comfort them. Those who've lost, those on the outer circle as they hear that, what do they think it means? Well, they sit there and they're like, do you know what? If I'm broken, I'm not alone. And you know, sometimes people can mourn stuff or they don't mourn stuff because they say, what's the point? It can't bring them back. It doesn't do anything to mourn them. It's wasted energy. It just makes me sad. I don't need to do that. I just move on and I bury it. And we've seen in our society today what happens when you bury things. It comes out in loads of different ways. 
You end up being a broken person and you just put on a brave face. But in the midst of it, that's why mourning's important. And you know those people who say, well, I'm mourning, but I've got no hope. Jesus mourns on your behalf. He mourns the state of this world. And you know, any mourning that Jesus does isn't hopeless. And so any mourning we do as Christians, it's not hopeless. We don't mourn the state of the world and go, but it will be obliterated, so it will be fine. We mourn it knowing that God is redeeming it. He's bringing things back to himself. And you know, sometimes I look out and I think, well, I can't see that yet, God. It looks worse than ever. And yet he's bringing all things back to him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And um, in Isaiah 40, there's this thing that we hear John the Baptist quote, which it says, a voice, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert highways for our God. But the start of that passage in Isaiah 40 starts with this, the three verses before it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And if you look at Isaiah 61, the type of people, when you go home today, read Isaiah 61, and the type of people that are mentioned in Isaiah 61 in that prophetic word, they're the type of people that are mentioned in the Beatitudes. Draw the parallel there. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance on our Lord, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. In the midst of that passage, what is the hope? That these people that we look down on or we say, oh, the world says God's forgotten, they will be oaks of righteousness. And what's the point of the oak of righteousness? Well, it's a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God's using people like that to display his glory on the earth. And do you know what I love about that? We're all broken. We all get to join in. He's not looking for the polished person to use, but he gets to be in the midst of it. God is comfort for those who mourns. He knows what it is to mourn. He's experienced it himself and he's able to bring comfort in those situations. And the word that we use for comfort there, it's the same word. It's related to the word paraclete, which is the word of the comf- that is used for the comforter in John when they're talking about the Holy Spirit coming in John 16, 7. The Holy Spirit. So who provides the comfort? The Holy Spirit. So God is comforter. In the midst of our mourning, It's not that we get a tea and sympathy visit from God where he goes, oh, here, here, don't worry. It's that the presence of God can fill our lives in the midst of our mourning and despair. And you know that God, when God brings comfort, it's not like a bit of tea and sympathy and not just being alone. It's so much more than that. He's able to make us whole. He's able to take our, bind up the brokenhearted, isn't he? Like Isaiah 61 says, he's able to bring freedom for the captives. He's able to do immeasurably more in all of those situations than we could ask or hope or even imagine. As God mourns this world, 
he's pushing back darkness as he does it because his morning is not hopeless. It brings hope. And this morning, I've really struggled to put this talk together as we finish. And there's two reasons for it. One is, I just sense that some of this stuff is massive and I've read loads of different things and I'm like, oh, I like that and I like this. And, I, and I, it's how you put these things together and, and all of that. And my head's been blown. But in the midst of it, there were two really clear things that I just sense God wants to do amongst us this morning. If we want to be people that mourn, I want to ask us to be or ask us what is our state around the world and the things that we see around us. And maybe that's big picture. Maybe that's the stuff we see in the world around us, in other countries like we've mentioned about Ukraine. Maybe it's the state of everything in the world. But what about the things on our doorstep? What about the brokenness in our families? What about our neighbourhoods? What about our streets? What about Little Lever and beyond? Do we mourn the state of the world as it wasn't as God intended? And do we mourn in such a way that we can distill hope around us? Because I know for me, often I don't. Often I accept and I paint a picture of, but one day. And you know, but one day is true. You know, part of that comfort is that one day, Jesus will comfort them in the sense of bringing them into a world which is so different. But in another sense, that comfort can come now. And the second kind of sense that I, or second, uh, second set of people, I need to stop saying sense. I've been told by my wife, so I will. Um, and, but the second thing that kind of hit me was that actually for some of us, we're mourning stuff in our lives or we haven't, we've buried it. And there are real things. And you look around this room even for some of you and you go, well, how can I mourn that thing the loss of a job when there's someone over there mourning the loss of their husband. And so we paint a picture and we say, get a grip. They're mourning this. I'm all, all I'm mourning is the fact of this. And you know, that isn't what the passage says. It doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn because they've experienced tragedy. It said, blessed are those who mourn. And so this morning, I just sense that for the remaining few minutes, that for some of you, I want to invite you to start to Allow God to be with you in the morning. For some of you, you need to mourn the things you've lost. It might be the state of a relationship in your life. It might be uh, the mourning of a situation. It might be the mourning of a job that you've lost. It might be the mourning of just disappointment in your life. It might be an unanswered prayer and you're mourning over that. It might be... um, Uh, the situation you find yourself in work, you might be mourning the state of your family and just your longing for it to be different. It's great, but I want it to be different. I want those people to know Jesus. It might be that you're mourning the state of how mental health's got a grip of someone you love or how physical health has got a grip of someone you love. I don't know what it is, but this morning I just sense for some of us, we need the space to be able to mourn. And you know, in a church like ours, it's not always easy to do that because we come and they start with a praise song and we think... (laughs) Oh, brilliant. And you know, there's so much right about that as well. Like, we should praise God in every season. It's not what I'm saying. This is not an excuse to go and bend John's ear and say, see, shouldn't be singing that. It's more a sense of we need to create a space in order that we can mourn these things. But we don't mourn for the sake of mourning. We don't mourn purely to feel good about ourselves so I can feel it again. 
We mourn because we'll be comforted. We mourn the state of this world because as by mourning it, we prophetically declare this isn't how it should be. And if we're not people that say this about the world, then who is? Someone stood here recently, um, another thing in the week, and they said, if you're putting your hope in a politician, you're dreaming. And it got a laugh because those kind of things do, don't they? Like, um, but actually, it, it, it hit me and I was saying, you know, like if we don't put our hope in Jesus, where are we putting our hope? And not just our hope that he'll save us and redeem us in the time to come, which he will. I'm certain of that. But I have hope that he's going to redeem the world around me now. I have hope that the situations I'm in tomorrow can be changed because Jesus is inside of me. I have hope that I can mourn a situation and I'll not be powerless in it, but God will bring healing and comfort and strength in the midst of that. That I don't have to carry it around for 40 years because God can heal me of that thing. And it starts by mourning it. And so I don't know about you, but I just want us to stand if you're able and willing. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm going to ask him to do that because he's the comforter. But wherever you are, I sense there are two sets of people I want to pray for this morning. And the first one is, is if you are a person who you have stuff in your life that you know you've buried and you need to mourn. If you are somebody who you're like, you know what, I need to, I want to mourn the state of this or that or the other. It, it could be something that seems ridiculous, like I shouldn't mourn it. It's a good thing that this has happened, but you just know you are then I want you to, to be honest with God right now. I want you to say to him, God, I want to give you that thing. I want you to name it and say, God, help me mourn the loss of this. And you might want to go further. You might want to tell him what you long to see, but you might just want to tell him why you're not okay with it. Or you might just be, for some of us, it might just be a big step to say, God, I want to mourn this. And if that's you this morning, I just long for you, just in your heart this morning, why don't you start to do that? God, I'm mourning this. I'm longing for something different in this. God, that situation, I'm not okay with it. I've damaged because of it. And I know I shouldn't be. And yeah, you know, I've, I've received prayer 10 times and I'm not moved on. But Lord, this is how I feel. And for those of us who do that, I just want to ask that you would just start to do that amongst you. This is a personal response. It's between you and God. It, it, it's the only way this can happen is to just do that, just to give him that thing. And for some of us, the Holy Spirit is resting on us afresh because he wants to stir in us a morning for the world around us. And for some of us, it's specific issues. It's specific issues for some of us that are just, maybe it's drug addiction for some people. You just, it's not that you suffer with it yourself, but that you've seen what it does to people and you're not okay with it. And you're mourning that and you don't want to be apathetic to it any longer. And God's just awakening that. And there'll be all sorts of things around this room that God is just awakening in you, like a dissatisfaction for that in the world. And for those of us, just allow the Holy Spirit to keep doing that in you. I'm doing what I sense Jesus was doing. I'm calling out what God is already doing. I'm not making it happen. And Lord, I just pray right now for your spirit for, to just come amongst more and more of us right now. Lord, for those that have started to mourn, we want to pray that they will be comforted. Holy Spirit, come, bring comfort to those people.